0: In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. Well, good evening, church. Please open up your Bibles to Psalm Twenty-six, Psalm 26. And if you do not have a copy of God's Word, uh, please lift up your hand. Our ushers are coming forward. They would love to put a copy of God's Word in your hands. Uh, You are going to need it tonight. Uh, And if you do not have a copy of God's Word uh, at home, I would invite you to keep this copy as a gift from our church to you so that you can take it with you and follow and actually read, dive into the Word every single day throughout the week. Um, And so um, our passage this evening can be found on page 258 of those Blue Bibles. And so as you're opening up to Psalm 26, here's a question that I have for us this morning, right? So here's a question. So have you ever been falsely accused? Have you ever been falsely accused? Have you ever been accused of doing something or of, of, of something that you didn't do? Let me give a couple of examples. Charges that were brought against you. Criminal charges. Here's another one. Cheating. Whether that's cheating on your income taxes. Fudging the numbers. Or, for students, cheating on exams. Here's another one. Lying. Have you, have you ever been accused of lying? Lying. Maybe for some, it's partiality. Being accused of partiality, hold, holding or with a friend, whether that's with a friend, uh, in the workplace, with employees, or maybe even with your own children. Maybe for some, it's the double standard. Holding one person to a set of standards while holding another person to a different set of standards. Here's another one. What about Stealing. You ever been accused of stealing? Or maybe, for some, it's misinformation. Been, ever been accused of misinformation? Providing false information? Here's another one. Discrimination. Have you ever been accused of discrimination? Whether that's discrimination against race, against gender, against age, or religion? Here's another one. Have you ever been accused of being intolerant? Of being intolerant towards those who hold to different views or beliefs? Here's the problem that you and I are faced with. We live in an age of accusation. We live in an age of accusation. We live in a world where accusations are rampant, right? You don't need to look so far, too far to see this. You can turn on the news, you can read the newspaper or scroll through social media and you'll see it. It's all there. It's everywhere. And as believers and followers of Jesus Christ, it's getting increasingly hard. It's increasingly hard. There is an increasing target on our backs. We live in a world that is increasingly hostile to the word of God. We live in a world in which there is an increasing opposition, not only to the word of God, but there's an increasing opposition to the church of Jesus Christ. And the church and and the challenge that you and I are faced with or will be faced with in those instances is this. How will you respond? How will I respond in those instances? Where will we turn to in that moment for vindication? Or to whom will we turn to in that moment for our vindication? Will we be resolved to pursue integrity in that moment? Or are we going to buckle under pressure and cave in and compromise in our faith? Church, I want to challenge you this evening just as I've been challenged from this text. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are called to live a life of integrity. This isn't optional. This isn't a a lifestyle that is only expected of our elders or deacons or people that uh, hold a a leadership position in a a church. Whether that would be men or women. All believers. Every single believer is called to walk with integrity. And here's what I mean by integrity. You'll see it on the screen. It's, It's this. Doing what God says is right even when no one's watching. That's it right there. Doing what God says is right, even when no one is watching. Choosing to do what is pleasing in the eyes of the Lord at all times, in all things, when no one else is watching. Especially when no one else is watching. Now you may say, well, why does that matter so much to God? Well, here's why you'll see it on the screen. Here's our big idea for this evening. To worship God faithfully, you must live with integrity. To worship God faithfully, you must live with integrity. And if we are to live lives of godly integrity and not compromise on our witness and in our worship, we have to know what a life of integrity in God's eyes looks like. And so here in our text, we are going to see three marks of one who walks with integrity by God's power with God's blessing, and for God's glory. And so I would invite you to stand now as we honor the authority of God's word in reading Psalm 26 together. So let's stand. I love seeing the kids here, so let's do this nice and loud. And so I will bless the Lord of David, verse one. Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity, and I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Prove me, O Lord, and try me. Test my heart and my mind, for your steadfast love is before my eyes, and I walk in your faithfulness. I do not sit with men of falsehood, nor do I consort with hypocrites. I hate the assembly of evildoers, and I will not sit with the wicked. I wash my hands in innocence and go around your altar, O Lord, proclaiming thanksgiving aloud and telling all your wondrous deeds. O Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. Do not sweep my soul away with sinners, nor my life with bloodthirsty men, in whose hands are evil devices and whose right hands are full of bribes. But as for me, I shall walk in my integrity, redeem me and be gracious to me. My foot stands on level ground and in the great assembly, I will bless the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord, church, and all God's people said, amen, amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. And so right here in our text, right here in our text, uh, we see that a life of worship is a life of integrity that is examined. It is a life that is examined. And and it it is a life that says, test me, Lord. Test me, Lord. And the question that you and I are confronted with here in these first five verses is this. A life of integrity begins with examination. It begins with examination. Are you inviting the Lord to examine your life? Let's get our context. As the superscription shows here, uh, this is a Psalm of David. All right? This is a psalm of vindication. And so David is crying out to the Lord, asking him to declare him innocent of the charges being brought against him. And so we're not exactly certain uh, as to the situation in David's life which would have prompted him to write this psalm. However, based on this psalm, what we can see is, is that David is in a situation in which many people have arisen against him and to bring false accusations against him. His enemies have, have ganged up on him, so, so to speak. And so let's read, let me read verse one. Let's look at verse one again, where he says, vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity and I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. You see, David here turns to the Lord and he cries out to him, vindicate me, right? The word there, vindicate, means judge me. You be the judge of these accusations, Lord. And you notice what he says. He claims to have been walking with integrity. That is, he's claiming innocence. Right? He's claiming blamelessness before God. And he also claims to have trusted in the Lord without wavering. That is, without faltering. Without teetering. Without buckling under pressure. And as a result, he's inviting the Lord to look at the facts. And to render a decision. Let's look at verse 2. He says this, Prove me, O Lord, and try me. Test my heart and my mind. You see, the word prove me there means to test metals by melting. Right? The term used here in this text refers to the process of refining silver and gold. You'll see an image on the screen here. Melting gold is the process of changing the state of gold from a liquid to a solid. Sorry, from a solid to a liquid. The melting temperature of gold is 1,064 degrees Celsius. And so smelting is a little bit more complex as a procedure, uh, but it, it, it... they, they do this by purifying the gold, by using extremely high temperatures, pressures, and a number of chemicals. And so this causes the impurities to oxidize and rise to the surface, and then allowing the impurities to be skimmed from the surface, thereby improving the quality of the gold. And so the testing and the refining doesn't just pr- prove the contents, but it actually improves the quality of the gold. And as you test and refine the gold, you improve the gold. And so this is what we see David inviting the Lord to do. Right? David is inviting the Lord to test and refine every area of his life, his actions, his words, his thoughts and motives. He's inviting the Lord to purify him, to smelt away all the impurities in his life. Let's continue reading verse 3. He says this, for your steadfast love is before my eyes and I walk in your faithfulness. Right here we see that David tells us why he can be so confident in his request in verse two. David affirms to have kept the Lord before his eyes. I love how one commentator says this, David sets the Lord before his eye, before him, specifically the Lord's steadfast love, his loyal loving kindness and because david has the lord's loving kindness before his eyes he walks in the lord's truth and the result of this we see here from david is this he lives a life of integrity and as a result he's able to offer worship that is pleasing to the lord Right? It is because he has kept the Lord's steadfast love before his eyes that he goes on to say that he goes on to say that he does not associate with the wicked. Right? Look at verses four to five. He states this: "I do not sit with men of falsehood, nor do I consort with hypocrites. I hate the assembly of evildoers, and I will not sit with the wicked." Right? He's he's saying, "I'm not keeping company with these men." I'm not keeping company with these men. I'm not getting my counsel from these men. My eyes are on you, Lord. Prove me. Refine me. He's inviting the Lord to examine his life. And so loved ones, are you inviting the Lord to examine your life and asking, test me, Lord? Later on in Psalm 139, David would go on to ask, or goes on to write. He says this, search me, oh God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. Is that your prayer? Is that your prayer? Here, here I'm, gonna, I'm gonna be very intentional and provide you as many opportunities to, to drill down, down this application. Here, here are a few questions that we can ask ourselves. Am I wavering? Am I wavering in my beliefs? am i wavering in my beliefs in my faith in my witness or if we could ask that question differently where am i wavering where am i wavering am i trusting you in my health am i trusting you in with my finances with my career with my relationships in my witness, where, am I not, where is my trust in you wavering? Here's another one. Am I focused on you in, what is that? The trial? The conflict? The hurt and pain? Are my eyes on you, Lord? Where are my eyes looking to? with whom am i keeping company is is my community that i seek counsel from faithful to the lord that's a big one or here's another one what counsel am i getting is it godly counsel is it godly counsel Loved ones, I get it. It can be extremely scary to invite the Lord to search and examine your life. But it's a freeing thing. It is a freeing thing. Right? I want you to remember, if you are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. Right? There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is only freedom. And So this is where This is where a life of integrity begins. It it is a life that is examined. It is a life that is examined. And from this, we also see that it is a life that is devoted. It is a, a life that is devoted. It is a life that says, I love you, Lord. It is a life that says, I love you, Lord. And the question that we are confronted with in the next five verses is this. Integrity flows out of a love for the Lord. It flows out of a love for the Lord. Are you devoted to him? Are you devoted to him? Let's continue reading verses 6 to 8. He says this, I wash my hands in innocence and go around your altar, O Lord, proclaiming thanksgiving aloud and telling all your wondrous deeds. O Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. You see, in these verses here, we see that keeping the Lord's steadfast love before his eyes also draws David into the worship of the Lord. It draws him into, right? Where he says in verse 6, I wash my hands in innocence. Here's what he means by that. Washing one's hands in innocence means keeping one's hands innocent and therefore not needing to wash them. David here is claiming innocence. And so given the context, David here is stating that he is not guilty of the charges that are laid against him. And having maintained his innocence, he is therefore in a position to join the congregation in going around the altar to make sacrifices that accompany praise, prayer, and thanksgiving. Here we see that David, he is devoted to the Lord. He is, he is fully devoted to the Lord. And so here's what we mean by devoted. I want to make sure that we, we, we're all on the same page with this. Let's get a biblical definition. It means this, to be completely faithful to the Lord. Right? To be completely faithful, to be completely committed to the Lord. One translation even says it like this, to be perfect with the Lord. Wow. To be perfect with the Lord. And notice how David desires and longs to be in the presence of the Lord. Right? He speaks here in these verses of the Lord's altar, of his house, of the place where his glory dwells. Right? It's, it is his love for the Lord that drives his devotion to the Lord. One commentator says it like this. I love how he says, he says it so beautifully. He says, David loves God and so naturally David enjoys God's presence. David loves to honor God, to be in a state of ritual purity, to make sacrifice to God, to celebrate God with thanksgiving, and to rehearse all of God's mighty deeds. David loves to worship the Lord. If I could sum it up, I'd say it like this. David is completely devoted to the Lord. He's completely devoted to the Lord. Let's look at verses 9 To 10. He then says, Do not sweep my soul away with sinners, nor my life with bloodthirsty men, in whose hands are evil devices, and whose right hands are full of bribes. David here then gives us a contrast. He gives us a contrast of those who are not devoted to the Lord, and he cries out to the Lord. He cries out to the Lord asking that the Lord would not judge him like the wicked. Right? He's saying, don't include me as one of them. Right? He describes the men as bloodthirsty men. That is, men who shed blood. And then in verse 10, he goes on to describe how they go about. How they go about through deceitful schemes and bribes. Don't count me as one of them, Lord. And so let's do a little survey here in the room, all right? Show of hands. If you look back at your week that, that has just gone by, raise your hand. Let's be honest here tonight. So raise your hand if you can honestly say that you have been completely faithful to the Lord. Raise your hand if you can say that. And therefore, can join with David saying, I wash my hands in innocence. Can any of you honestly claim that? And for those of you who has raised, uh, who have raised their hands, I would invite you to come and see me after the service here for a time of repentance. Because <laughs> like, that's... Yeah. Right? None of us can claim that. None of us can claim that. You see, David's love for the Lord is seen in his devotion to the Lord. It's seen in his devotion to the Lord and not... In the way of the wicked. He's not following the way of the wicked. Right? And here's the truth that we see from these verses. A life devoted to the Lord is a life that is completely faithful to the Lord. It is a life that is completely faithful to the Lord. In short, a devoted life is a faithful life. And this life will lead to a growing devotion to the things of the Lord. The more you love the Lord, the more you will love the things that the Lord loves. That's just how it goes. And so I want to I be practical here. I want to give you four things. Four things that you will increasingly love as you increasingly devote yourself to the Lord. Number one we see is his word. You will increasingly abide in it. You will increasingly abide in the word of God. You will abide in it. You will treasure it. You will meditate upon it. You will take it everywhere with you. Next, we also see that uh, you will increasingly love intimacy with him in prayer. Right? Your intimacy with the Lord through prayer will increasingly grow the more you are devoted, the more you love him. Third, we see the church you will increasingly love the church. You will not forsake gathering as the church, right? Church will be a priority every single Saturday evening, not only to attend, but also to serve in the church. And fourthly, we see here that you will increasingly love, you will love increasingly the lost you will have a heart for the lost you will have a, an increasing heart of compassion for the lost just like jesus you will see them you will see the lost increasingly the way jesus sees the lost here's the truth that we need to see the more you love the lord the more you will be devoted to him and the more you are devoted to him the more you will love him right it can't happen any other way and so loved ones uh Here's here's a question for us. Who or what has your greatest devotion? Who or what has your greatest devotion? Is it your spouse? Is it your kids? Is it your career? Your job? Is it your bank account? Having enough funds in your bank account so that you can live life comfortably? Students, is it your school grades? Here's another one. Is it entertainment or sports? Is it entertainment or sports? Movies. Where's that stuff? Here's another question. Are you devoted to the Lord? Are you devoted to the Lord? It can be very easy to declare it with your lips that you are devoted to the Lord, but the follow-up question to that is, does your life reflect it? Does your life reflect it on how you steward your time, your talents, and your treasures? Loved ones, do you delight in the Lord? Do you delight in God's presence? Do you take much joy in the morning opening up God's word and growing in knowing God through his word? Here's another question. Where is your devotion to the Lord right now? Hindered. Where is that? Some of you may ask, "Well, why does it matter so much that I be fully devoted to the Lord?" Well, here's why. You'll see it on the screen. A lack of devotion to the Lord will lead to a lack uh, uh, will lead to a lack of integrity before the Lord. It'll lead to a lack of integrity before the Lord. If you and I are not devoted to anything, if you and I are devoted to anything or anyone else other than the Lord, we will compromise in order to get what we want. We will, we will compromise. And so, loved ones, are you devoted to Him? Are you devoted to the Lord? Lord, help us to love you more. Amen. Amen. Help us to love you more. You see, a life of worship is a life of integrity that is examined, that is devoted, and underlying to all of this, we see lastly, it's this. It is a life that realizes. It is a life that realizes. It realizes this I need you, Lord. I need you, Lord. And the question here that we are faced with in these final two verses is this. A life of integrity realizes its need for God's help. Who are you depending on? Who are you depending on? Let's look at the first half of verse 11. Let's go back to the text. Let's look at our Bibles. But as for me, I shall walk in my integrity. You see, despite the false accusations brought against him, David is resolved to continue to walk with integrity before the Lord, right? Notice, notice how David has gone in verse one from I have walked to I will walk in verse 11, right? That's resolve, that's commitment, right? He's committed to not buckle under pressure, and notice, notice the second half of verse 11. Let's go back to the text. He says, redeem me and be gracious to me. Right? He realizes his inability to walk with, his in, with integrity on his own. He realizes that he can't do that on his own. What's that? That's humility, loved ones. Right? The, the term redeem me" he, redeem me here means to buy out. Right? David here is confessing that he needs help. And not only that, the term be gracious here means this. Show me your favor. Show me compassion. He confesses that he cannot claim it as a right. Right? His, his dependency is on the Lord. It's not, it's not in his ability or his wealth or his status as the king of Israel. Remember, he's the king of Israel. Right? Right? You see this you see this throughout the entire psalm where his dependency on from the get-go he's gone vertical with the Lord from the start and he has looked to the Lord. He is he is fully aware of his own need for God's redemption and grace and blessing. And so let's let's just put ourselves in his shoes like let's just live in the text here for a moment. Right? The king of Israel. The the person that everyone in the kingdom, would normally look to is crying out for help. Right? He's crying out for help. David is turning to and depending on the Lord like a child depends on its parents. Like, just think about that. Just picture a young child dependent on their parents for their basic physical needs, whether that's food, shelter, or clothing or their emotional needs, right? Or their safety, or their guidance. That's, that's David right here in the text. He realizes that he is wholly dependent on the Lord. And David knows that anything good that comes and any integrity he could ever live will be the result of God's gracious work in him and through him. One commentator says this, uh, he says, Seeing this attitude in David reminds us that integrity is not only a result of a resolve of the will to walk honestly before the Lord, but it is also a humble awareness of our need for God's grace. It is a humble awareness of our need for God's grace. Integrity is a realization that we need the Lord's help. David realized that he couldn't do it on his own. Let's read verse 12. He says this, My foot stands on level ground, and in the great assembly, I will bless the Lord. Right? Notice where his confidence is. It's not in himself. It's in the Lord. It's in the Lord. The term level ground there in the psalm is a metaphor for an upright life and moral integrity. You see, David is confident in the Lord that he will vindicate him. He is confident that after looking at all the facts, the Lord will vindicate him. Now you may be sitting there and thinking, well, it's not easy to walk with integrity. I have failed time and time again. And loved ones, I get it. I'm there also. It can be very hard at times to walk with integrity. Nobody nobody naturally drifts towards integrity. Right, But I, I want to I encourage you and remind you of this truth right here. God isn't looking for perfection. He's not looking for perfection. He's looking for perseverance in his power. Right, And there's only one person. There's only one person who walked with perfect integrity. And his name is Jesus. And if you're saved in him, if you're saved in him, he has given you and will give you all. All that you need to live a life of true worship flowing from a life of true integrity. Why is that? Because he did it. Jesus came to earth as fully God and fully man. He lived a perfect life of integrity in our place and here's his life summarized from psalm 26 let me read let me read you his his life he's all right so jesus was falsely accused of blasphemy he was falsely accused of blasphemy when he claimed to be the messiah and the son of god we see that in john 426 Jesus had an unwavering trust of his Father during his whole earthly life which was demonstrated in his submission to the Father's will in the garden of Gethsemane and his cry from the cross. We see that in Luke 23:46. Jesus was put to the test. He was refined in the wilderness and was tempted in all the ways that we are yet without sin. You see that in Hebrews 4.15. His father's steadfast love was before his eyes at all times and in all situations. And he continually walked in his faithfulness. You see that in Hebrews 12. His relationship with the, with the wicked was seen in his denunciation uh, of the hypocrisy of the scribes and the Pharisees. Right? Flipping tables driving out the money changers, right? And we see that in Matthew 23 also. His zeal for worship in God's house was shown in the cleansing of the temple. That's in John 2, verses 16 to 22. And this Jesus being perfect, went to the cross paying for the penalty of our sins as the wrath of God was poured out on him. And even though, even though he appeared to have been swept away with the wicked in his death, his prayer for redemption and full vindication came on the third day when he was raised from dead, raised from the dead, defeating sin and death. And because, loved ones, because of his faithfulness and his resolve to walk with integrity, he now ministers as our high priest in the heavenly tabernacle and he sits at the right hand of God. And here's the beautiful truth. He now offers forgiveness and eternal life to all who would repent of their ways and confess him as Lord and Savior and put their trust in him. And if you're here today, and if you're here, and you have never confessed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, well. Loved ones, I say this, today when you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Do not harden your heart. There's Jesus in Psalm 26. Isn't isn't our Savior awesome? One, One commentator summarized it like this. He says this, Jesus walked with integrity to accomplish God's gracious plan of redemption. With the result that we stand on solid ground in the great assembly to bless the Lord. Jesus has secured our vindication through what he accomplished. And it is because of him that we can now stand in the great assembly on solid ground and bless the Lord. You see, Jesus not only modeled for us what a life of integrity looks like, but he's also given us another helper. He's given us the Holy Spirit who is with us and empowers us to walk with integrity. You see, the call to integrity is a call to Christ-likeness. It is a life of increasing Jesus. It is a life of increasing Jesus. And this is the call that every follower of Christ No exceptions. It is the call that every follower of Christ has. God's purpose is to conform us into the image of Jesus Christ and he does this from the inside out. God works in us in order to work through us. And loved ones, I want to encourage you with this truth. You'll see it on the screen. God will not ask us, will not ask of us what he's first not willing to do through us. He will not. If he has called us to it, he will see us through it. And this is something that he has called us to. And so loved ones, who are you depending on to walk with integrity? Who are you depending on? Are you depending on yourself? Are you depending on your own strength? On your own abilities? Or are you depending on the Savior? Are you depending on Jesus? You see, a life of integrity is a life of true worship. It is a life that is examined, that invites the Lord and says, test me, Lord. It is a life that is devoted, that declares, I love you, Lord. And lastly, we see it as a life that realizes, is a life that realizes and cries out saying, Lord, I need you. That is true worship. Let's pray. Jesus Christ, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for showing us what a life of integrity looks like. What a true life of integrity looks like. and So thank you for not only showing us what this looks like, but also empowering us to live with integrity. Lord, the call to integrity is a call to Christ-likeness. And so, Lord, I ask that you would grow our desire and our resolve to walk with integrity. I pray that you would refine us that you would purify us as gold is purified and refined. Lord, help us. Help us to love you more, to walk with greater dependency upon you at all times and in all things. Lord, I pray that you would do this increasingly in our lives and in your church. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Church, will you